friends, welcome back to another stupendous episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and kid who stares you in the face while shitting his pants. <laughs> Alex Dandino. It was that or infamous Archer. I, I'm glad I went with the I'm glad you went with the former. All right, before we dissect Alex's many, many bad behaviors, guys, a little business. It is official. Your friends here at the Film Alchemist are on Patreon.com. That's right, Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. For as little as a dollar a month, friends, you can join us. Enter our community. Meet the awesome patrons we've already uh been cultivating see what we're working on over there and as you climb the official highlander tier ranking system you can actually select the specific movies you want us to discuss in a patreon exclusive library (laughs) we know that dollars are hard-earned so we're busting our ass making sure that the patreon is worth all of the money and support that you guys give us so again even a dollar guys we don't turn our noses up at a dollar every dollar helps we appreciate all the support. It truly is the best way to help the show. Uh, it, we appreciate all of it. So for those of you who are already supporting us, thank you. For those of us who are about to, thank you as well. Preach. All right. Wait, no, I have more. I got more. Uh, go to the YouTube. Subscribe. The channel's called Film Alchemist. If you want to see our just beautiful cheekboned faces, just tight, tight, dehydrated-looking faces. What? Twat faces is more likely than yes. Tight. Yes, indeed. Uh, you can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the social media you're on. We're easy to get a hold of. We like to hear from you guys, so reach on out. Reach on out and touch us. Woo! Uh, also, make sure you leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. That now includes Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener, make sure you give us the star rating uh, so Please. we can start racking those up. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Enough business. Let's just smash some tomatoes and abuse the symbolism of the color red. With Edith's final selection in the uh, the pod's having a rough day month. Uh, with definitely just the I mean, hardest day. I cannot imagine the roughest of days. The, cannot the imagine roughest a day, day. I mean, just a lot of rough days, but the day very rough. Uh, this will be a hard one, guys. Uh this is heavy shit we're diving into. The film is we need to talk about Kevin. So this was essential. I remember when this movie was coming out, right? This was oh, yeah. like one of those big festival things, and you heard about it. Like, oh, they made the school shooter movie. Mm-hmm. And everyone's reaction was pretty obvious. Like, oh, really? They're trying to art up and cinema up uh, school shootings? That doesn't seem like what we need. I think the cinema is often a place, right, where we confront really dark and scary shit in the safety of that room, mm-hmm. right? We can open our minds and heart in a way that's much safer oftentimes than the real world. And if, you know, hopefully we get to think about this shit. And we need to talk about Kevin as a, a harrowing example of a really scary thing that feels very omnipresent in our lives. I know we're both dads. Two boys. Uh, yeah, and I... Not only the fact of being the parent of one of these kids, but just when we moved here, right? I was like, we live in the country now. Every, you know, it's like classic small town living, you think. We had a kid who just showed up to one of the local schools with a gun, like a young kid. And thankfully, he was caught before anything uh, tragic happened. But it was one of those, holy shit, man, this really is happening frequently enough and happening Mm -hmm. so often. You're like, it's, yeah, every school someday, man. And it's intense. And, you know, again, I'm I'm a little older than you, but I was definitely one of the kids of Columbine in that oh, when that dude. happened, every parent of kids my age, right? They went through all your shit yep. to see if you had the certain CDs, if you were playing Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I remember that. It's so funny now looking back at how little they seem to affect us, which is sad. Yeah. But how massive an event in history that was in my personal timeline. Mm-hmm. In this movie we examine that through the lens of this woman and her struggle with her own autonomy and who is she and how much does she need to give to this son? It's actually 
just a stunning performance by Tilda Swinton. Um, really just a wonderful cast all around and this really dark movie. Alex, opening thoughts on We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I I vividly remember the day Columbine happened. Like, it was a very, it was a very intense day because we got out of yeah. I remember coming home from school early, for one. They let us out of school early. Well, it was probably the first, like, big adult news story that, got into my mind as a kid yeah i mean this i'd say i mean yeah like for us growing up columbine and 9-11 are the two most like earth-shattering things that happened in our young lives to like really inform who we are as adults really like columbine took a lot of our innocence as kids like oh wow school is like super unsafe actually when you think about it and then you know i think all of us collectively felt something very uh, uncomfortable on 9-11 but Columbine is always something that's omnipresent just like something that's stuck in my head I so coming to this movie they've like from my understanding like, they always have like you know History Channel and all those channels do like their own version of like oh school shooter movies and shit the only other movie of this ilk that comes to mind like when I remember watching it was Gus Van Sant's Elephant Elephant is another art house movie that he made. Like this was post Goodwill Hunting, obviously, um, but um, he had like a lot of traction to make this really, really, really weird version of you know Columbine movie. Um, we need to talk about Kevin. Is not so much focused on, and this is the thing that makes it interesting: is it's so much less focused on the actual goings on of Kevin himself. And much more about what we're doing. Like, it is about the parenting of a kid who, by all stretch, by absolutely no stretch of the imagination, sort of resents his mother on a regular basis. It's... Un- <laughs> That's it- a real Christian way to put it. <laughs> I-, I mean, and I gotta tell you, like, this is always a thing. And, I mean, like, I it, we're recording this. Today's Tuesday. My kid was up at midnight last night, and... Did not go to bed till 5 a.m. So, like, all day long, like, watching this movie. Because I watched I've watched it in two parts. Actually, I watched it twice. But I watched it today, and I was like, is my kid Kevin? Is he fucking with me? And, like, I he has will. This- I have definitely said Kevin under my breath a couple times today. It's like, oh, Kevin. Like, right. watching my kids be little dicks, you know, little but dicks then, or whatever. But then the other thing about that, <laughs> and I think this is the thing that is always. Because that's, like, you know, that's you and I trying to blow off the steam of, like, well, that's an intense movie. But the other thing about this and the part that's not so easily blown off and the thing that makes the movie unique is that, is it us? Like, that is always my, like, kind of, like, really okay, so unique thing about this movie. This is a place I need to stop and we need to start right here. I think if this movie has a black eye, as it were. Yeah. I kind of, I don't know if I appreciate the seeming consistent decision the movie makes to in some way shape or form blame tilda swinton for this i'm (laughs) not gonna say that she should have been on ebay like immediately buying the set of nine fucking ritual knives that gregory peck had in the omen (laughs) but pretty fucking close i mean a kid that's that hateful that young like they the movie's kind of this weird journey of they never show kevin is essentially a human being that is relatable in any way shape or form zero as a baby, as a like eight year old, whatever that range is, he's always this non child darkness, right? Yeah. And that I get, right? Like, you know, if he's just born as a psychopath or whatever the terminology is, right? Fine. The movie links in intrinsically in this very pointed way to Tilda Swinton, right? His rage and hatred is all funneled at her. Mm hmm. To the point that the fact that she's even the one who has to remain to carry the burden of this seems like another fuck you from Kevin, right? I feel like the movie a lot of times is playing in this rough area, right? Because, I mean, I know, I can't imagine what Amy went through carrying a kid, you know, your wife too. Yeah, no. But there, even as a dad, right, there is this, where are, it's something parents say all the time that I fucking hate, right? Well, my whole life's for them now. My story's there. And I'm like, no, you still get to have a life when you're an adult. And I, I think mean, parents that don't suck, I feel like this movie somewhat I vilifies think really... her for like the, oh, I don't want to leave the city. I want to be trendy. Well, of course she does. She's fucking Tilda Swinton. Right. 
And, like, they always take the choice to seemingly act as if she had done something better. Kevin wouldn't be Kevin. I think I always just, like, because I, like, there are parents who do that. And, like, I always think that's sort of a misnomer. And it's one of those things that, look, speaking as a parent who puts my kid first, and that's the difference. Like, you say, like, you know, it's not about, oh, like, my kid's my whole life. It's that you put your kid first. Like, you put your child first before like you going out but like you still need your mental health and so on like if there's anything that the last two years have taught us it's that while your child is the most important most valuable thing in your life perhaps if that's how you feel i'm not gonna sure i'm not gonna virtue signal anyone else like my kid's most important thing we've done so he's the most important thing in my life however I also if need my to... kid was Kevin, though, I would not agree. Yeah, if my kid was... <laughs> absolutely. If my kid was Kevin, I'd be like, eh, it's like the 14th the movie most never even gives about. us because even the scenes when he's acting nice to the dad, you're like, that makes you hate him more. Right. I anyway. agree. Like that's but that to me is what makes that is the very fascinating thing about this movie is it really does. And I think what they're trying to do. And again, I think Lynn, Ram- I think Lynn Ramsey's an amazing director, by the way. Yeah. Like, like you were never really there is an awesome movie. Like if you've ever watched, yeah. uh, if you've ever seen it, it's fantastic. But like, and but Lynn Ramsey directs this movie in a way that yeah vilifies Eva, um, Tilda Swinton's character, in a way is like oh she's a reluctant mother. She doesn't necessarily want to be this person, but she's sort of forced into it in a lot of ways. And I'm like, I, like I think that like. That's how it comes off. To me, what she's doing most of the movie is apologizing for that in so many different ways. Like it's this right. very specific, very um very internalized thing I think about, which is mothers are supposed to be nurturing and these kinds of things. And like when women don't take to that immediately. For some reason, like societal, like from a societal perspective, we immediately go, oh, that woman's not cut out for motherhood, which is fucking right. bullshit. Like, right. and that I think is what is project. That is what we as the audience is projecting on the movie, which is really fascinating. Cause yeah. then as soon as you realize that and you like shirk that sort of responsibility <laughs> that you've given yourself of like judging with this big fucking finger pointing in Tilda Swinton's face, the right. movie more morphs into this, oh, this is about in my opinion, inheritance. Like, did I put, did I pass this? Did I pass something on to my child that makes them this way? Like that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, I think it's funny too, because specifically casting Tilda Swinton will trigger the average audience. Absolutely. She is, she kind of has that David Bowie quality where you're like, she's just cooler and better than us. Right. And she's like super... one of those, like above us people. Like, of course we're going to see her and be like, we're going to kind of get a kick out of the fact yeah. that she's struggling with this, one of those right? omnisexual people yeah. that have absolutely no gender <laughs> that that yeah she has and honestly just like the science fiction of the film like she would just end up with John C. Riley like okay. real John C. Riley cool John C. Riley wait wait we got more on Tilda we I definitely we have do, a, my god yeah I mean the the fucking hog on that guy no I'm just kidding <laughs> like it must just be earth shattering but there is this from the moment she first sees herself in the mirror, we can tell she's very worried and uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And there is this, like, taking over of your body and your life that we as dads will never understand. hmm We can't. Like, I, I literally just sat there and tried to make her more comfortable. Yeah. But essentially, I, my shit didn't change until the kid existed, right? Same. And so, and then, but she still had to, like, get up and breastfeed, and our kid would never take a bottle, so she just made the sacrifice... My wife is a saint, is what I'm trying to say. But there is this there is this fucking thing you really hit on it. We as a society just I think it's twofold, right? One is that a lot of us have parents that as we grew older were like, Oh, our parents didn't know shit when we were kids, right? Right. That's like the treasures of being a teenager is you realize all grown ups really don't have it much more yeah. figured out than anyone else. So you're like, I know a lot of dumbass people that are parents, so it must be easy. And two, we're all just trained like it's your kid. You'll love your kid. Right. Well, walk around as an adult and be like, how many absolute buttholes do you know just in your office? Yeah. And it's like, if you hate that guy because he's a piece of shit, <laughs> there's a good chance that some <laughs> of his family members hate that guy because he's a piece of shit. Right. And so it is kind of this this attack on these standard American families. Right. 
And the first time we see her, she's in the tomato smashing orgy, which almost makes me throw up every time I watch it. It that makes people me choose to spend their absolutely time that nauseous that people want to do that. Gross. Just all the sweaty smelliness. But anywho, that's a real life experience, man. But there, there is this this thing. And the way I've tried to think about it now, because I'm like, I don't feel like Lynn Ramsey would have that kind of male gaze thing, right? Obviously. No, I don't think so either. What I actually think the movie might be is when we're seeing the flashbacks, the movie does this really brilliant job of cutting between realities, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think what we're actually seeing is Tilda Swinton rewriting herself as the bad guy of this story. Oh, right? so totally. I think, Absolutely. I think a lot of yes. it comes more from that. The first time I watched it, I was just like, this is really unfair to moms. The second time, though, I really was honing in on, oh, she is the one telling me yeah. that if she had been more into it. Because this is the other thing. I know, I know this isn't great to say. All of us who are parents... You had those bad days where you're like, what if I had I, pulled out? <laughs> I, absolutely. And that, I love my kids when they listen to this when they're I, older. I, I I'm glad I didn't. Look, but. I love I love being a dad. I love my yeah. kid. I love everything about our life. But, yeah, like when they're fucking screaming at 4 o'clock in the morning and pointing at the TV and, like, doing 45 minutes of what they consider playtime, which is just, like, slapping you in the face and doing a yeah. bunch of other, like, just – because it's playful and they don't understand that like when it's that yeah you have like it's very human to have those emotions and have those yeah. thoughts like what if this wasn't my life right now what if i was fast yeah. asleep living my best life it's one of those things that people don't understand until they have they're like well i have a dog and i'm like well you can throw your dog exactly. in a cage in the basement and people, let him out in the morning this just like, happened <laughs> This just yeah. happened in our life. Like I like like we had some friends with a dog and they were like and they were trying to relate to it and like relate yeah. to like what it's like to have a kid. And I'm like, if your dog is home alone, they'll be fine. They will break into the fridge, they'll break into the cabinet, they'll feed themselves, whatever. <laughs> My two year old will die if yeah. we leave him home alone. <laughs> like, Let's say the cops were to come thing. into your house and see your dog drinking out of a toilet. Or versus my child very different different <laughs> thing altogether yeah stop saying that you're a parent because you have a pet you're not you're a pet yeah. owner and that's great too i'm also a pet the owner dogs but are the, beautiful the responsibilities creatures. of being in charge of, and this movie really hammers the scariest part of it not only keeping your kid alive and safe in your home but also when they go out into the world but then the really hard thing that we all struggle with is is our kid gonna grow up to be a fucking right sack of shit. And did I did I did I teach them that, or yeah. is that something that's just innately? And this movie from the jump says, "Well, that's just part of his DNA, yeah. I guess." I'm just gonna say, whoever was the casting Shithead director, DNA. yeah, whoever's the casting director and found that toddler who just had the bitchiest face Hats of off. all time, Hats Oscars, off. Oscars, <laughs> fucking retro Oscar for where did you find that resting bitch face, kid? Yeah unbelievable but no i mean it's hard man like our job and again i'm a grown-up who feels like i don't know shit about how to be a grown-up but yet i'm seven years into one kid and four years into the other and i still feel like i don't know anything my parents like to say that as soon as you have children you get your stupid license because it means that you finally realize you absolutely know nothing about (laughs) what's going on and like yeah. You know, that's just like one of those cute things that my mom likes to say to me when I'm like complaining about what she doesn't realize the is. existential dread she's giving you. Right. But <laughs> in regards to like this movie, it it is this it, there's nothing knowable about having a kid. Like even when you think you have a handle on it, it still is this unknowable like it's this it's this unsolvable equation. And I think that this movie this movie is interesting because it solves the equation for us within the first like 30 minutes like this Kevin kid is, is a known son this kid is a fucking shit. zero get the fucking ritual knives this young lad is a known incel so for sure he will need to be dealt with but like I mean this movie posits like even if you watch like the little Jeffy Dahmer documentary <laughs> he had like an okay period where he wasn't such a bastard right like from the time he's two and can sit up and roll a ball 
He's already this fucking horrid. And, like, resentful <laughs> of his... Like, it is just, like, fascinating because... But, again, that could be her writing that's that. That's her... Proje- I, I agree, though. And that's yeah. something I noticed today while watching Because he's this not a like, real character as a young no. boy. And that's something I, like, found today watching it. Cause, and we'll get to, like, the end because I do want to talk about it. It's really important, that last scene between them. Because it is, like, this very different thing. But to me... This whole movie, everything about these flashbacks is projection. Like everything about this is not only projection, but also like projection from one person's point of view only. Like, listen, you and I before the pod already determined this. John C. Riley, I think now is the second worst father we've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, these. he's up there. Richard with the Armitage guy from the in lodge the lodge is number one for sure. Fucking uh, inventor douche from Gremlins. Yeah. Too just bad, but at least that guy's probably fun to play cards with. Right. No, like Richard <laughs> Armitage in the Lodge is by far number one John the worst Riley's father like, ever. You seem maladjusted and constantly scowling. Let's give you lethal hobbies. <laughs> right? Like he's yeah. he's bad. But he's bad and she she's projecting though the entire movie right. his aloofness about what her what the sun is becoming and like that is so subjective. Like maybe he's just, it might not. I, I thought about that today. So like, there's no way a guy is this shitty about it. And the fact that she stays with him, if he's that stupid, it's insane. Right. But here's the scene, right? So she's like, I, I yearn to travel and I can't go to fucking tomato stretch fest, 2022, whatever. <laughs> tomato stretch like, fest. Yeah. I just want to fucking, I want to smell bad and get groped and like just, you know, like a crowd at like a concert, but just add like tomato muck everywhere. Have you ever been to Coachella? Yeah. Just add marinara sauce and that's you, what I want. I just watched this and I'm like, she must suck to like be at a dinner party with. Ugh. Like, oh, you've never tomato orgied? Mm. Yeah, that's. Mm, you've mm. never lived. And I'm like, hey, cool. Your son's fucking shitting and staring in my eyes while I try to eat this way too small meal that costs too much. Anywho, so. She does up a room, right? She fucking glues all this stupid shit to the wall. Maps of like, one of the maps is just of Michigan. And so I was like, ooh, very exotic locale. Michigan. What is this ancient land? Michigan. Come to to fascinating Detroit. The only thing fatter than the people are the tomatoes in Michigan, right? Enjoy Detroit. (laughs) Detroit. Bring a hoodie. It's very cold. Lancine. Yeah, it's so... Re- but anyway, that's her, like, escape, right? And she's like, everyone needs a space. Fine, okay. And she says, I'll help you make your room special, right? Weird to believe that in the course of a, a phone call, a business phone call, this kid gets a super soaker, many various palettes of colored paint, right? And begins to then spray the room willfully. And when she comes in, he has this absolute look of disdain for her. Yeah. Right? Like, disdain. Hates. Hates this fucking woman. And John C. Riley, you know, she he's very fucking sorry. He said he was just trying to make the room special. And you're like, serial killer. But then you're like, okay, this is her rewrite. And I'm like, am I to believe this kid is such a sinister little bitch that he really went that far and had the backup excuse? I think that's one of those scenes where she rewrites it as this personal attack. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Like, there's it's no hard way. though because we never see a scene with Kevin for the most part that isn't him being this two dimensional force of evil. So it's hard to try to to pull back from that a little, right? It is, and I think it's one of the issues with what I was feeling, right? Like even when she right. fucking breaks his arm, right? He just shits. Right in her face. Right, right. She changes his diaper, and he's, like, four feet tall. Yeah. He shits again, and then she fucking throws him across the room and breaks his fucking arm. And this part's really weird, okay? So if what we're talking about is possibly true, right, that she's kind of rewriting him and her as the villains. The dad is an extra aloof idiot, whatever. Why does Kevin not rat her out, right? Because obviously we watched the movie, we're like, oh, he's a nefarious super genius, he is, you know, got leverage on her now. Right. I He could call CPS. Does yeah, he just I mean, that's all I thought is just it's leverage. Like to me, that is the But if she's rewriting these things to be worse and we're possibly assuming Kevin was a quasi normal kid, does that change scenes like that in your mind? 
No, because, and I'll tell you why, because the scene before, because they have a, um, this is like before the flashback happens, there's a close up on him rubbing the scar on his arm from where the doctor yeah. reset the bone. And she's like, you remember how you got that? And he's like, yeah, it's the only time you've ever been really honest with me. And like, to me, that's what makes that scene actually real. Everything okay. about the context of that moment and the aftermath are all real and really played out. Now, I'm sure there is like there is that dramatic effect of someone remembering like you know you always remember something far more dramatic than it really was, but yeah. like <laughs> you know how many times have we had those conversations? Even on the Discord, people remember things we've said and I'm like I don't remember any of that, but you know, it's one of those things where there might be that, but I think that actually instead of it being just uh, you know leverage. Maybe yeah. it is just Ava's guilt yeah. really like seeping through the memory itself and just saying like, I felt so guilty for doing this to my kid. Cause like, you know, parents are, I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, Oh, you know, sometimes you break your kid's arm. What are you going to do? But this goes back to like, you know, the shining is a great example. We talked about that's a great scene at the bar where he describes like a little bit of pressure in the wrong direction. And you know, the kid's arm pops out of its socket and so on and so forth. So like, that to me is that to me is guilt dictating that to me is guilt dictating the logic of the scene when in reality while he could hold it over her because he doesn't tell john c Riley at all what really happened while he could hold it over her there is this thing and like i don't know if you felt this probably not because quite frankly it makes no sense given the context of the movie but like <laughs> i really am trying like because to me, there's just so much logic in the movie that's just yeah out the window. So for me, all the scenes in these flashbacks, I've had to assign this thing. It's like, okay, but at the end of the day, he's still a child who needs something. He needs help. Like, he still needs right. food. He still needs being yeah. provided for, like, these kinds the of things. The fucking food thing. All right. No, I, I agree. The problem is, is we never see him as a kid, right? One of the right. things that kept striking me, I mean, obviously, we'll get to Eva's, like, modern reality, right? Which is just about as brutal a tale as we've suffered on this podcast, right? There is this constant fucking question in the film, Right? I know this is a sensitive subject to some. I'm not weighing in one way or another. Does this not seem like a shmushmorshin potential, right? Like, she's really hating being pregnant and feeling the... There's that horrifying scene where she's in Lamaze class. Mm -hmm. All the other moms are just strutting it, and she's kind of covering life. up. Yeah, she's kind of covering up, and they're just like, stop resisting, Eva. What? And that horrifying, like, face-twisting birth scene, right? She mm -hmm. clearly was not comfortable in this scenario. She seems like the kind of character that would believe in a woman's right to choose, right? It seemed it seemed to me like she would have at least played that out in her mind, right? Her husband's a sack of shit. Why not leave him? Why do these two rich people not hire a fucking nanny, right? Rich people do shit like that. At one point when they're teenagers, we see Tilda Swinton's fucking face on a giant book poster in a bookstore right. they must have a fair amount of money that house which she could says get they help. have a fair amount of money they yeah. can have help the job she has in that office when they're like doesn't kevin go to this high school she's this is seemingly a couple that could afford help or so hey something's with... really broken with this kid we need help okay so then in line with our theory about how these flashbacks right. are projections and like why what does they, she not make that choice right what That's they really the, are yeah to me actually what that is is another form of resentment against john c Riley's character where it's like because he's constantly swooping in essentially like he's constantly doing that like and i, I don't know if you, like this is why i feel like the john c Riley character is such a strange like amalgam of nothing like there's no way someone is that dumb i mean Granted, they're dumb people in this world, but like the other. <laughs> I was like, maybe. Do you see how they didn't know how to hold N64 controllers right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they were holding the two outer prongs instead idiots. of the middle where the joystick was. That made me want to punch a TV. But, <laughs> the, uh, but the other thing about that, though, is that John C. Riley's character constantly comes in at just the right moment. 
Like at yeah. just the right moment, he shows up to defuse or to like take care of a situation that he deems like, and eh, she just doesn't know what's going on. Like when he, when she's, cause look, I, I look, Hey, we're all very honest people here. I absolutely have spoken to my kid this way where when she's like trying to get him to roll the ball and she's like, I used to have a great life and now it's fucked like that kind of yeah. shit. Every parent has done that. 1000%. I don't care who you are. 1000%. I'm with you. It is what it is. You have that moment. But then she I used turns to be around. at this festival where sometimes I smashed the tomato. Sometimes I yeah. was the tomato. Now, granted, her me? life is her life was insane. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'm glad she doesn't go there anymore. But like. John C. Riley is just magically standing there going, oh, how dare you say these things to our son? I'm like, fuck you, dude. I know you've done the exact same shit. We've all screamed and yelled at an inconsolable baby. No one wants to admit it, but you just hit your fucking breaking point. Everybody and you, does. I've literally just screamed like just that, you know, what do they call it? <laughs> fucking dead poets. The barbaric yelp. I have barbaric Just praying that gods kid. hear me. Screaming, crying. Like, yeah, it's, it's tough, man. But this is so... But I what sorry I, I I didn't. But to the point, right? So right. she's the one telling us this tale, right? Right. Either way, you cut it, right? Whether you think she's reliable or these are PTSD flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Why does she never make the fucking choice? Well, that, to get help. I think this is what's part of like the John C. Riley character is that she has this feeling like she has to. Because John C. Riley always swoops in at the best at the last second. He's always the best parent. He's the favored nation. That whole thing. I think that in her mind, the concept of a nanny or anything like that is this defeatist thing. And like you know that there's another scene where she's absolutely said like, "Can we please get some help? He's a lot yeah. to handle." And John C. Riley's like, "He's your son. Why can't you just love him?" That's her projection, though. Like, I think she's yeah. subconsciously blaming John C. Riley, and she's like, well, you think that it's so easy. If I ask for help, you'll well, think I can't be a mother. she seems to be a character, and this could just be me projecting onto Tilda, is that she has this immense inner strength, right? And she is kind of bucking the traditions of what she's supposed you to know, do. And it, it, it just seems like, like, here, at the second half of the movie, right, me and mm -hmm. my wife just kept saying, like, move move yeah. why are you going to see kevin in jail who fucking cares you're like that part's easier to understand right now you are this you feel like you deserve nothing you are punishing yourself you keep going to see kevin to get answers. that part is easier to understand even though the stakes feel dramatically higher right, right. the the fact that this this working capable professional smart person never once stops and it, it doesn't ever feel like there's a bond where she's like you know what if i just spend more time with him i'll enjoy it she hates spending time with this fucking asshole i mean but to something else you said i i did i did not find tilda swinton's character to be quota i mean other than being a mother which is a strength i have no idea how people muster <laughs> other than that i do not find her to be a particularly strong person because she refuses at every turn to like like weathering the storm and like weathering i agree this but thing. doesn't that feel like not what she would have done that's what i'm saying like because every scene i'm like she would ask for a nanny she would get help they'd be going to every fucking doctor in the state sure right like that's part i think that's part of her projection onto john c Riley's characters like you don't see what i see so if i'm taking him to every doctor in the state i'm asking for a nanny you think and that's part of the like i was a reluctant mother now i'm a reluctant mother who has a child and i don't want to be like there's so much projection of how she feels about being a mother in this movie which is what makes it a unique story it's not just like the school shooter movie what makes it a unique story is about like this is a woman who did not feel the call to motherhood like like there was not like like yeah. when you like when you and i when you and I initially had those conversations with our wives about like what our lives were going to look like and that kind of thing, like I remember that. Con I remember the conversation my wife and I had okay. before we started trying to conceive. So I'll be honest, my wife was like, "I think we should start trying to have kids." And what I heard is, "We should fuck a bunch with no condom." And I was like, "Yes." And everything else she said, 
didn't register. I was like, now should we start now? And then later tonight, and then I'll eat some popcorn to carb load and a Gatorade. And then we'll go like, that's all I heard. So the moment she then said, and it did not take as long as you would think in a movie. I was like, oh, I'm going to get like six months of this lifestyle, which nope. would be great. Like really fast. Yeah. And then when she told me I had this absolute, like my core of my soul had fallen out and I had this just walking ghost like mindset. I was like, what the fuck? I felt like an in-between person, right? Mm -hmm. I know the person I was can no longer exist. And I have no idea what this fucking next person is going to look. I mean, it was really like, I didn't know because well, I was not a person that walked into this like fully formed. Right. And I'm so still like, not very mature. Well, what's but... interesting. So like <laughs> if you reverse the situation, because like, yeah, you think about how we felt when we found out. Like I I remember having that conversation. And yeah, like maybe two months later we were in business. Like it's just one of those things where it's like and look, hey, we were very lucky. And I knock on wood and, you know, thank every day that we've like that we were lucky in that way. Because some people are, are not. But. That is something that is so primordial, and it's fascinating to watch. Like, because you never really see a scene where John C. Riley's like pushing her to let's have a baby. They just fucking raw dog, and that's their that's what they're doing. Like, you see that scene. They're just smoking cigs in the rain, and then they they're fly, smoking right? cigs in the rain. It's raw like dog a dream day for any grown yeah, It's an incredible day, and then at the end, she walks in front of a mirror and she's pregnant. All of a sudden, you're like, oh shit. Like, One of the hardest cuts in the history of movies. <laughs> this 2001 crazy cut. <laughs> Just like, Jesus, hey. I'm telling you, the hog on that guy. Yeah. But, I mean, that is What was like, that song from the night, the, the rap? I got the magic stick. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a 50 cent moment. But that We're is definitely like, dating ourselves with coolness. But, <laughs> but that is like, that is truly and honestly how it feels though like she just walks in front of a mirror and like we all have that like obviously you and i weren't pregnant we, we look it but we weren't pregnant i still don't like every time i walk in front of a mirror I yeah agree. i don't like looking in the mirror regardless <laughs> but like it's one of those things where you see this this it, it's an outer body experience like there's no way else around it like you're seeing something unimaginable right. because it's never happened to you before it's happened to everybody else but right. not you so i think that that's what and, you know, you always want to, like, kind of, especially because I've seen this movie a few times now, and, like, you always want to kind of look at Tilda Swinton's character and be like, oh, she didn't want to be a mom because she liked traveling and she liked going to, you know, Tomato Cella. Yeah, she liked doing what every fucking person like, in their 20s yeah, she, likes to do. No like, shit. Yeah, that's what's awesome about your 20s. And then yeah. you grow up and your back starts to hurt and you live your life and you're like, oh, wait, yeah. like, I should just, like, not I can't. That. I can't thump and take the thumps like I used yeah. to, my sciatica. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, like, wait, how am I going to fucking wear my CPAP with all these tomato remnants on my face? <laughs> right. You know, your you know, your jump around record is starting yep. to skip and it's just like part of your life. You know, you have to like you, you guys have... like tomatoes. Have you heard the song Peaches? And I'm like, get out of here, grandma. She's like, ah. But that that to me is what's really fascinating about Tilda Swinton's character is that her progression of like, I am a mother. It And she like, tr like. I feel like almost it takes almost the entire movie to see her actually like trying because by the time we're at Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller as the son, mm -hmm. there's like really specific scenes. But the one scene that I was like, this is like her attempt at parenting. And he like fully calls her on her shit was the, like they went out together. Like they go play, they go play mini golf and they go to dinner, but like they go to mini golf and she like gives this horrible speech about how fat people are always eating. She's like, make no mistake. They're fat. That's all their problem. I'm like, Oh, look, a scientist in our midst. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I was like, no Oh, <laughs> old, old PhD Fuckers. over here. Huh? Yeah. So, but old it's perfect that. bone structure over here. Throwing haymakers. But it's at that she gives but even shit that. Does Tilda Swinton look like a lady who mini golfs? No, this no, movie is not at all. It, it I it's, never can connect with that. It's such projection. <laughs> the like, most unreliable narration ever. <laughs> I can tell you right now, like, there's no way they went. First off, like, there's no way they went ahead and mini golf. I've always You know what they did the do, though, that made it seem real? Is they did that rich, like, C-word thing. Where they, I almost said it. <laughs> yeah. Where they just fucking drop uh, their clubs and balls on the last hole. And they're like, fuck it, we're out. Some fuck, poor, rich, some poor will pick this up for us. But here's, I always think, because I've always questioned the realism of this scene, 
is because when she comes All downstairs to take him to lunch or to take him to dinner, he's eating this like massive turkey leg. Like, a Disney, like, like a Disney like a turkey Disney leg. Disney turkey leg. And I'm like, there's no way that's just laying around in the house. These are not the turkey leg people. Absolutely. John not. C. Riley looks exactly like the guy who walks around in boxers and no shirt, crushing giant legs of meat. I'll say this. Actually, John C. Riley in this movie seems like the kind of guy who'd walk around with no shirt and undies crushing like a KFC box. Like a KFC, like sure. a KFC I mean, that's, bucket. That's a different genre that, of the exact same story. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, but see, this is what I'm saying, though, is like, to me, that is her imagination, like recreating this moment of like, oh, he just had like this giant flagon of meat that he was just yeah. gnawing at. And you're like, okay, did he actually, or was it just like leftovers? Like, no it one was, has, no one has a leftover turkey leg in their. I'm sorry. That's like, the line in the sand. Oh, I thought that was so real. I do that shit all the time, dude. No, to me, it was like it was too comical, and it was just like <laughs> no way, not a chance. Like, oh, when we go to the stores, I'll get like four or five rotisserie chickens just so I can eat only drumsticks. That's why Amy goes and does the groceries, but yeah, obviously I would do that. No problem. I'll have five rotisserie chickens. <laughs> I better get my cardio in today. Yeah, that's me. That's how I live my life. Whatever. I'm but, a grump, but this, okay. That is, I think that's a weird line in the sand for the reality. No, it's just, the chicken it's so, leg. it's so, but this comical. movie has a lot it's of so food, weird food shit, right? Like the way he eats, uh jelly only sandwich yep. and lets it ooze everywhere i am genetically predisposed to hate him <laughs> and there's this weird thing with him constantly crushing cereals yeah right the way he eats the fucking eyeball food whatever the fuck that I don't was know what that is when his sister just lost an eye to drano or whatever right there's yeah. like a lot of those there's a lot of weird food trauma stuff in this <laughs> anyways right i don't know kevin's a carnivore devouring our souls whatever the fuck that may be but it's just something she hated about him. So it comes through in the stories, right? But I think things like that, right? Those really close-ups of him crushing cereal and stuff like that. Mixed with this constant use of the color red to bind us to traumas, mm-hmm. past and present. I think it does this really good job of... It feels ultra-realistic. Yeah. Even though I feel like we have a really unreliable narrator. I mean, in this in the current stage, right? Eva is horribly self-medicating yeah herself right wine pills and eggs yeah this is one of the things in the future right where it's just you just want her to walk away from it all she won't right like she just keeps cleaning her house when they paint it she just eats the eggs with the shells in it that the lady broke yeah there is and it's hard because you're screaming at the screen you're like she's not the fucking murderer right but society said she was and now we're watching her tell us again how it is her fault she mm-hmm. is this fucking walking grief. And we don't think about it like this. She is a victim as well, but no one wants to let her be a victim. No, because if you let her be a victim, like the one really unsettling, like the unsettling one is like the kid who. Oh, kid the who wheelchair got, kid. The yeah. wheelchair kid. And he's like. He's kind to her. He's fine. Like he's the only one who's kind to her. And that like to Dude, me is like. She smiles when she gets the words worst job. And this fucking Karen just punches her in the nose. Someone's having a good day. Yeah. You whore. I was like, what the fuck? Well, I don't, there's, this is like something that, this is something Lynn Ramsey does in this movie that fucking just like floors me every time is every time Tilda Swinton's character has like a modicum and it's not much. It's literally like an inch. Oh my God. Of like an inch of happiness. Like, I think it's only twice in the whole modern story, right? Yeah. Like, she has, like, an There's inch, that and moment when she gets the job, right? Yep. And they're like, we don't care who you are. If you can do it, show up Monday. Boom. Punch in the fucking nose for that. Mm-hmm. The other one is at the Christmas party, Christmas man. Party. She's got a dress on. She's kind of smiling and watching the world's saddest Christmas party, which also tells us about her emotional despair. Yes. Is that she's smiling being in that room. And, uh, you know, the fucking creepiest Rudolph just saunters up. And he, I think, here, what he said, do you think anyone would want you now? You think anyone wants you now, you stuck up bitch? And it's just, it's honestly one of those moments you're like, if it wasn't for the show or I like the movie, I'd just turn it off. Yeah, she has no happiness. Anytime she, it's like that thing, though, like, 
when you felt guilty about doing something or you yeah. felt guilty about something like that and you have like a moment of like this is a weird example but like i don't like anytime like if you've ever been like in a car accident or something like that and like a fender bender whatever and it sucked like you feel bad like you don't like it like even if it's not your fault it still sucks you know and you have this you know, you're like trying to move on with your day and you have that moment of like, oh, my midday, my day is finally moving on. And then you remember what happened. It feels like that every single, both these times, it's just so, even like the times it doesn't, like when she's at the supermarket and she opens up the eggs and all of them are broken and she's like, I'll take them, I don't give a shit. Like she's purposely- Cut to like, her pulling shells out. Pulling shells and lining them up the way Kevin lines up his fucking fingernails was just disgusting. Um, also, I was like, what amazing teeth he must have. Those are finely clipped clippings. Yes. Those are not raggedy-ass clippings. I almost wanted to test one on myself, but I'm like, that would probably hurt. But, but anywho. It's a really, like, it's a really fine line, but, like, the entire thing is so, she's just, I mean, yeah, she just literally lives within misery. But that's what I mean. She's just a go, and the whole movie, you're just like, fucking move away. And then it starts to dawn on you the... When she finds out she's pregnant a second time, right? Mm -hmm. There is this kind of ghost of omission. Uh, where's that second kid and where's John C. Riley? So now we're building this even more tragic thing. Right. And it's just, it's hard, man. And I don't know what the movie wants well, us see, to think about or get out of too, it. This is another is brutal. they have that scene where he's she's like. She's wearing his fucking Led Zeppelin shirt all the time in her house, yeah. man. Like, mom's getting fat. And then they cut to. This scene where he's like pacing around, and he's like, John C. Riley's indignation. John C. Well, now I don't have a say in it. I'm like, well, you well, did. Great, you have a say. Your I didn't dick wear, and your wife. I didn't wear any fucking condoms, and all of a sudden you're pregnant. Oh, real nice. Well, thanks a lot. Here's an idea. The moment you cram your dick into a vagina, you had a say in it, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, well, that's another thing. That's another part. Also, that I was, I was like, like, she looks like she's like four to five months pregnant. Like, right. he really didn't notice. Which, again, this goes back into this, like, that just seems so... <laughs> fake. Fake. Like, there's Everything. no way anybody's again, that Because, dumb. to me, I read Tilda Swinton as this powerful, modern, like, overachieving lady. And sure. she's constantly played as this lady who's just under the foot of this fucking Fred Friendstone-like rube. Right? And I'm like, she's not going to eat his shit. She's not going to deal with all this stuff and, you know, suffer silently. Right. And then you start getting into the flash and, you know, she's telling it worse so she can make herself feel worse. I right. talked about because we're also covering Eternal Sunshine next month, mm -hmm. right? Spoilers. And we a lot of that movie does the same thing, right? Like the really bad event. And nothing like this obviously happens. in that Right, movie. right. But it's fun in that movie to watch the way that some of the bad stuff that is fresh in your mind goes back and taints and rewrites other events. Right, right. And it's this movie really gets to the core of that, right? She thinks, yeah, it was kind of weird when Kevin was jerking off furiously, standing up in a laundry room. It just, just eyeballed me right and kept going for it. And you're like, yeah, after you know he's a fucking school archer, that yeah. is fucking, well, you know, that's probably like a, a warning sign, right? Oh, it is weird. You bought a bunch of bicycle locks. But I think it's just one of those things. None of us could fathom our kid. And again, Kevin is none of our kids, right? We see him fucking with the hamster and the garbage disposal. Like, that's one of those I would just call John C. Riley and he'd be like, hey, Shrek, get over here. Yeah. Explain, you fucking big, dumb, grumpy bitch. Yeah. You're out there fucking playing tetherball like you're Napoleon Dynamite with little Jeffy Dahmer. Explain. <laughs> Explain right now, you fucking asshole. And then he definitely, you know, puts the Drano where his sister can get it. Yeah. explain and so it never feels right you know what i mean it's just it's just hard man it's 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 a it's a movie you desperately a, want to hug and protect this lady from these yeah. traumas you know are still yet to come as everything. hard as it is to watch her suffer now we know that by the end of the movie we're gonna watch it's it's a really fun game because we already know exactly what is behind that curtain yeah. by the time we get there. Yeah. We know what he's going to do at that school before they kind of show a version of it. Right. And I think that impending 
you know, it's like the fucking Poe story, right? The pit and the pendulum, man. Just watching it get closer and closer is horrifying, man. My wife honestly hated watching this. She want, didn't want to watch it. She's like, it's too scary. I mean, it's it's just so filled with malice. And I think that's the problem is like, because, you know, she, she, she does what any mother does when you hear like, oh, my God something's going on at the school my kid goes to and like to the fucking rushes to the fucking scene of the crime and she sees him walk out now here's here's my question because i love that fucking scene Mm -hmm. does she know when she's in the car does she fucking know she knows because they play it right there's a close-up of the bike lock oh fuck i think when she's on her way and she's stuck at that elevator i i think she knew already kevin did something she knows she knows i think she knows I think she knows when the bike locks are bought. Like she knows something is wrong, but she's so she's so caught up in her own stuff with John C. Riley, like finally yeah. deciding they're gonna get divorced. I'm like, yeah, how could you ever how could yeah. you and Shrek ever break up? My God. Just a small seventeen years to it. And I'm not calling John C. Riley that because of his I looks. I love John C. Riley. Because he is the dumbest person, right? Yes. The way Shrek constantly just keeps fucking exactly. up his marriage it has nothing to do with looks yeah. it has to do with fucking. i'm saying if you go back and watch the shrek series from shrek to on shrek constantly ruins his marriage he eventually gets kids and he's sad with it so he wishes them away shrek's a bad life partner and a bad dad is he magical and funny yes does he seem like a good time to go on like a little fantasy adventure with yes yes should you build a life with shrek no Leave his ass in that swamp, Tilda. That's all I'm saying. It is not a physical thing. I just realized not that's how someone's yes. going to take it. Yes, please. No, not a physical thing at yes. all. But it is this. I realize some people probably don't have kids and watch the same movies over and over and over again. So that's what we, that's my analogies now. Anywho. But it's a really, I, I, she knows the minute she sees it, like that is probably not great. But she's yeah. already in this situation where she's going to for sure get divorced and her daughter is in a situation where her daughter's already fucked up. Like she's seen what this kid is capable of at this point. So why would she not like opening your mouth is almost like, it's like, it's going to do more harm than good at this point. Well, I think she's constantly told you're insane, right? She's constantly told that you, you don't know what you're talking about. And so it's that mixed with no one wants to think that. Like, he'll no. pull out of it. He's a teenager, right? He'll be better when he's a grown-up. This kid, not so much, man. And I think that's one of the crushing elements of it. So that, she goes, she gets home. She sees that he's also fucking iced John C. I mean, the shot, the malice Oof. is the right word. Yeah. The lack of dignity for that sister and dad just laying there getting sprinkled the shot of john c Riley like getting so he got a one in the arm and one in the back which means kevin hit him in the arm first and then yeah. did him in he tried to run and got i mean it's just there's no fucking respect for the body it's just or nasty yeah it's just a, it's a mean and fucking cruel film right and i think a lot of it's tilda being cruel to herself and also ezra miller is just fantastic is this fucking hate given male form right he is wonderful and again i think it's kind of funny because we talked about this the two trajectories right Mm -hmm. this was a star making performance you're like this kid's gonna be the next guy this was ezra miller's like and yeah and weirdly you could argue it is right he went on to fantastic beast and justice league and i I personally don't think i think what's weird is that this one is that you really hone him in on what he one thing and his his acting tennis, right? As Ralph Fiennes said in the Harry Potter reunion, mm-hmm. his acting tennis with Tilda Swinton is wonderful. Oh no, it's great. And now that you've seen his later work, you're like, is Tilda Swinton that good? She just fucking carried his ass up the mountain. Well, and it's interesting because <laughs> the more I thought about it, I, I really like because it's fascinating to me because this is of the era like this. Um, this movie came out in 2011, so Ezra Miller and. Uh, you know, uh, Paul Dano and a lot of these ag- actors who were coming up as younger people in these movies who are starting to just like hone these really specific adult acting skills, like really intense brooding. Like it's interesting to see because I texted you this. I'm like, I wonder how, like, cause now Ezra Miller, not only is he his personal life aside again, I don't know enough about Ezra Miller, but I understand he's not a great guy. Um, personal life aside though, 
his trajectory has been super high profile since this movie like this was the breakout yeah and then he did perks of being a wallflower Mm -hmm. and from there he literally did like he did stanford prison experiment which was another like not popular indie but it did well enough had a lot of like michael angarano and a lot of famous like a lot of famous young actors in it Mm -hmm. and then almost immediately he jumped to batman versus superman and then too hot that's the difference he's too hot he i think he went too hard to like he's too He's too beautiful. He is. I mean, his cheekbones are just, yeah. you could. I mean, he is. You could. But, it's incredible. I i could not dream of the amount of chub I would have to lose to have fucking cheekbones that protrude. I mean, he said, but he, that's, he's just this beautiful little guy, right? And that makes the performance even more dreadful. But I think that's why he got tracked for the like, oh, this kid's on sure. his way. I get it. Like, that makes sense. But yeah, it's interesting you say that, though, because. When we get to the final, his scene. charming, funny guy shtick that he does now does not work for me at all. Let me put it that way. It's not great. Really good at this movie, but what's interesting is yeah, he is this like beautifully manicured facial god, and I think that's what makes the final scene between them that more uh, that much more unsettling because to me that is the this is the first time in the movie we've had actual truth from all around like it is the naked, so you don't think the first prison truth. visit where he's chewing his nails and staring at her hard i don't think it's all because like, neither of them talk right that's a that's a strange really. choice in that moment i mean and also so much of that is shot in close-up like you don't really see what he really looks like but this is like two years there's a two-year anniversary of mm-hmm. the uh massacre I mean, it feels and, like we've watched Tilda Swinton have like 15 years of misery oh yeah, and like, that condensed. <laughs> and I mean, it's, but, and then you see what he really looks like and his head is shaved and he's in like, you know, prison oranges because he's 18. He's about to get shipped off to like, as she puts it, big boy school, which is like, well, she actually goes at him for the first time. Oh no, time. she fucking takes him. And it's takes him to task. Cause she's like, well, you've managed it well so far, right? Young kid. Prozac yeah. out of his mind. You'll be out of there in a couple years. But what's really fascinating to me about that scene rewatching it, right, is how it's the first time he looks scared and childlike. Terrified. He's not this fucking, you know. No, no. And like Bruce that from scene Jaws in the middle of creature. the movie where she wakes up in the middle of him like being interviewed. Like they did an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, that is like that is like this weird like Manson like behavior where you're like, oh, I got it all figured out. Yeah. This is the first instance where it's like holy shit he doesn't have anything figured out yeah and he that's why to me well, it this could is also a, be the first instance where like his mother he's no longer has any body autonomy or identity autonomy well yeah like to me this is the that's why this is always the ending scene is the most objectively truthful moment because not only is she willing to like say really what's on her mind to him but then finally just ask exactly what she's always wanted to ask because there is no like it's not like you know there's nothing holding back now. Like he's not only is he incarcerated, he's about to be like adult incarcerated too. So finally she just, she just says it and she's just like, why'd you do it? And again, like the Ezra Miller performance is this like really unsure thing because as soon as he's like, he's just shaking in his boots the entire time. And now because at the auspice of being an adult, He's like, I honestly don't know. I used to think I know I knew, but I I don't I'm not sure anymore. And that is like that I think is like as a parent, you watch that and it's this soul crushing thing of like, wow, you took life in your hands. Mm-hmm. Like we all do. Like the first time you hold your child, like I, the first time I held my kid, the first time you cut that cord, like right. you're just it's it's it is the only instance and the only thing that in my entire life I can say is indescribable. I have absolutely no idea how to put into words the feeling it was. Yeah. And to realize that and then like the inverse and the perversion of that being this the taking of a life and the concept of like looking at someone and saying you're I am extinguishing your life. Your baby that, doesn't exist because my baby, baby got an arrow. Exist. Yeah. Right. That is truly yeah. like, that is the most like childish thing of all is like not realize, not, not even realizing the point of it all. 
just right. deciding up on the stage taking a bow right it's played as a very it's, childlike game absolutely well not when we see the repercussions but no i think what's wonderful about that last line right when he's like you know i used to think i know but now i don't is that i feel like that's what tilda swinton's thinking yeah right i used to know why i thought you did this and it was me mm-hmm. it was all directed to hurt me and cause even the decision right of Killing the mom and or the dad and the sister, but leaving her alive to have to suffer. Right. 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 She probably always thinks this is as, as we all do. Everything boils down to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Big political debates that we have on Twitter. Right. We all are like, well, it's, a, it's an attack on me personally. No, it's not. No one's thinking of you ever. Right. Right. My wife did something. She must be trying to hurt me. No, she wasn't thinking of you in that moment. I assure you. Even your wife, even your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he just says, I don't know, I think in a way it kind of unravels this whole tale we've been watching her live over and over again right this wasn't just a am gonna get you mommy this was just a broken damaged kid and well, i think I'm for the first th- time he's confronting that he's not what he thought he was and he's definitely not what we saw tilda right. describing in that one scene right i agree and i mean to me it's this is interesting like to me what do the- you make of the walk to white though in conjunction with this right I mean, like a lot of the time, again, this movie is so heavy on um, color symbology. Like to me, that like the symbolism of color in this movie is very specific and very important. It's odd because like white is generally the symbol of like the slate being cleaned, like so to speak. Like this right. is like the you know we're you know we're um, the epiphany. Yeah, epiphany. Uh, I can't even think of the word right now. Uh, but either way, like divine interventions. Yeah all that good stuff. either way it's one of those things where it's like oh this is it's but for me the white of this movie the white at the end of this movie is actually the harsh light of truth that to me is what this really is is like i like that that is why the end that is why the end is objectively the truth because like those there two is no fucking points there is no there's no formality yeah. anymore so for me she walks out into they you know they both walk out into the honesty of that moment which is like nobody i i can't tell anyone why i did what i did because you know i don't really even know and she even says i don't know why my child is the way he is because i did everything i could yeah in her mind she did everything she could to make sure that that child was happy and loved see i think it's the i think she's constantly saying she didn't you know it's really funny i didn't catch it but this time this is kind of how i would think about this movie in microcosm there's that scene where Kevin's sick and throwing up, laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. He actually says, sorry, mommy. And he right. kind of crawls on her and lays it's on her. the only her. moment where he. Yeah. Like, and he tells John C. Riley to fuck off as he needed to be told more times in this film. <laughs> Literally every time. I didn't realize she was reading him Robin Hood. Oh, really? So she's the one in her own mind. She oh, can wow. say, I, I planted that, yeah. the fucking archery seed. So I always brought it back to, oh, dad got his kid a wildly unsafe murder game oh, for no. their suburban backyard, right? This isn't the fucking sticks like where I grew up. and You could shoot right. arrows all day. <laughs> but I was like, her one moment of happiness with Kevin we ever see in the film is this moment where she accuses herself of planting the seed that made Kevin commit this act. Sure. And that constant possible dramatization of your personal past and the grief and the self-blame sure it's all there man and that's a it's just it's a it's a really powerfully crafted tale that definitely does not make light at all no of these tragedies right like it's not trying to sensationalize it to make a buck at the box i mean you don't see yeah you don't see anything that you wouldn't that you you see have seen some on the cutaways. News. Yeah, you see cutaways of this and that, but really what it is is you're just watching this woman wallow in grief and misery and regret. You know, the way that a lot of people have I'd from say guilt. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's just all like all it's the all big guilt. bad emotions, right? Like mm-hmm. that's all she has left. Everything was taken from her. And all she is left is to witness and you know suffer yeah 
and it's fucking harsh and brutal. And yeah, that bright light of truth at the end, man, is sadly there's probably a lot of fucking Tilda Swinton's. There's a lot of ladies that punch her in the face, and there's more Kevins than we'd like. And I don't think the movie tries to really stake a claim on why or how to fix any of it. Just really show the human consequence of these problems man and i i don't know i think i honestly i remember hearing about it and being like i don't think i'm interested in the school shooter movie man and i i think this is a really strong piece of work i agree that's it thank god we don't have to talk about kevin anymore the pod's Uh, not having a bad day anymore it's over yeah i mean a wonderful film but a fucking bad bad day But yeah, uh, that's it, guys. Thank you to patron Edith for this wonderful month. What a great way to start the new year. Uh, Hopefully the biggest and best year of the film Alchemist yet. So, guys, if you want to be a part of this and help us out, go join our Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. As little as a dollar a month, guys, you can join up with us, help the cause. Uh, Any money that you can donate helps us out a lot. If you can't do money, just support us. Share us on the socials. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. That's Film Alchemist. Uh, leave us rating and reviews wherever you find the show, especially now Spotify. You can do star ratings. Woo. So just any help you guys can offer helps out shows like us enormously. We appreciate it. Uh, if you just want to chat, you can email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Guys, next month, we always do the month of Amour for February. Uh, this one, the pod has loved and lost. So kind of sad, tragic, uh, romance story. Sad pappy crap for the, for the, for the, the Valentine's crowd. <laughs> sad pappy crap for Alex and his golf buddies. Uh, we are starting with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Mm. An absolute fucking stunner of a movie that it was really fun to go back and revisit guys. So a uh, great month ahead. Stay with us. Thank you for all you do. For the film alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tandino. And an extra thanks to Edith. Love ya. Love ya. Bye.